Hello everyone and welcome. This is your host Molly Rowan Leach of the Peace Alliance's Restorative Justice on the Rise, which is an ongoing free telecouncil series in its second season. This archive features a powerful council that we shared with Margot Van Sleipman of the Sabona Project. You can find out more about Sabona and Margot at sabona.com. That's S-A-W-B-O-N-N-A dot com. And for more about this series and upcoming guest speakers and all of the archives, go to dopeace.us. That's D-O-P-E-A-C-E dot U-S. Thank you and enjoy this conversation with Margot Van Sleipman of the Sabona Project. Good evening, everyone, and such a warm welcome to each of you this evening on this virtual council and circle. This is your host, Molly Rowan Leach, and I am a board member of the Peace Alliance. I've been hosting this ongoing telecouncil series, Restorative Justice on the Rise, in its second season now. Um, we aim to provide a platform for education, connection, for, for deeper understanding of this powerfully growing movement here in the Western realm of restorative justice. We certainly also deeply honor the indigenous peoples of our world who have been practicing what we call restorative justice in the Western world um, for ancient times. And so tonight, once again, in preparation for our very special month of January 2013, which is going to feature an entire lineup of beloved indigenous wisdom keepers and speakers that will be sharing with us in January on indigenous perspectives in restorative justice. So please go to dopeace.us and click on the Restorative Justice tab where you can access all of the archives, not only from this year, but also from last year's series. Um, those are free archives, and we, we aim to also keep this free and accessible to everyone and believe that restorative justice is such a huge and important concept that is exponentially growing in the United States as we speak, and many of you council members on this council tonight are active parts of that. And even if you're here for the first time and are curious and really don't have much of an idea of your own about what restorative justice might be, welcome and thank you for being here with us. I also would like to just say before introducing our amazing special guest speaker tonight, that it's important that you all know, again, that this is a council that you can chime in to ask a question, make a comment, open a dialogue with our guest speaker or with the council at large by pressing 1 on your telephone keypad. If you're Skyping in, you basically do the same thing. You press 1 on your keypad. That alerts us that you have a question or a comment so that we can open up your mic. We have such a large group with us that it's hard to unmute mics completely. So please remember, at any time tonight, and our special guest would like to emphasize this, 
if your heart speaks and you, you have a question, don't feel afraid to press one on your keypad at any time tonight, okay? Before we uh, open up our dialogue tonight, I'd also like to share a very special understanding that was shared with me um, via Dominic Barter of Restorative Circles. Um, many of you have, have provided some great feedback via our Peace Alliance emails, just saying you'd like to hear more about what restorative justice really is. And of course, it's a working definition from Dominic, but it also includes some really important principles within it. So I'd just like to share it with you briefly, if I might. He says, Restorative justice addresses the needs of those impacted by painful conflict. Using the terminology developed by Dominic Barter of Restorative Circles, these are the receiver, the person or people directly harmed, the author, the person or people who committed the act in question, and the community, those indirectly impacted and co-responsible for the context in which the act occurred. Many or all of these may be victims of what occurred. Several may see each other as having caused offense, and all are, in some way, in community, inasmuch as they change each other's lives. Restorative justice seeks to create the conditions for responsibility, reparation, and strengthened community, hearing from all stakeholders involved. So again, such a warm welcome to, to each of you, wherever you are dialing or Skyping in from tonight. It is my honor and great pleasure to introduce to you our very special guest speaker and, and council share wisdom keeper, Margot von Sleitman, tonight. And before I introduce you a little bit about her bio, I'd just like to take a moment to make a special dedication on her behalf to Theodore and to Bridget, that we devote this council tonight to these very special people, one whom which was murdered in, I believe, 1978, but his spirit lives on, and Theodore happens to be Margot's father, and Bridget is her mother. So we dedicate and honor these special beings tonight as we move into our council. Margot is the founder and director of the Sobona Project, whose mission is shaping concrete vision for inclusivity of all voices in the social, criminal, and restorative justice areas. She is also an award-winning poet and academic. She is a social justice activist who teaches therapeutic writing to educate individuals how to write to find healing and transformation for themselves and for those with whom they work. She is invited across North America to speak about the importance of poetry and narrative and how they are connected to shifting oft-times limited and limiting understanding of what living justice means. Her most recent book, Sabona, I See You, is a real-life restorative justice story, her story of life from murder to meaning. It has garnered praise from Sister Helen Prejean, author of Dead Man Walking, with whom Margot shared the stage in both Kansas and Cleveland. 
and also for which Howard Zare, considered to be the grandfather of the modern restorative justice movement, has written the foreword and has praised. Margot believes that one story can and does save and honor life. And so, Margot, I just warmly and deeply welcome and honor you tonight. And thank you so much for joining us at this, this council. And I wondered if you might begin tonight by sharing with us that story that brought you into this incredible work and service that you are providing our world. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much, Molly. And thank you, everyone that's present in this circle. It's very moving and very beautiful to be here. Very emotional. Um, <laughs> it's funny because I, my, I, we're, I will just tell you this. My father was murdered in Toronto in 1978. I was 16 years old. I am now 50, very soon to be 51. And five years ago, one of the men who killed Theodore emailed me just out of the blue. He did that. Well, it was actually his wife that did that. I, I do, as Molly shared with you, I do what's called therapeutic writing or bibliotherapy. And I did that work. I've done that work for a long time simply because I, from the time that I, I wrote before my father was murdered, but when that tragic and savage day happened, Shortly thereafter, I began basically to write to save my life because it was very, very, very difficult. We are from Guyana, South America. We, we moved to Canada because we were seeking a better life. And nine years after that move, my father was shot and killed in a robbery. At any rate, in um, it was May 1st of 2007, I received an email uh, from the wife of Glenn, uh, I received an email from Sherry Flett. She is married to Glenn Flett. At that time when I received that email, I, it was basically um, a donation to my press. I have a micro-poetry press, and I publish poetry, healing books, this kind of thing. At any rate, when I looked at that, when I looked at that uh, email, it was you know, in a, a PayPal thing. It was like, you know, $100 has been dis deposited to your PayPal account from Sherry Flett. And I just looked at the I just looked at that and thought, What? What? So anyway, just well, I'll make this very long and emotional story short, but I basically emailed her back after many tears and said, Are you married to John Glendon Flett, the man who murdered my father, Theodore Van Sleitman, on Easter Monday, March twenty seventh, nineteen seventy eight, at the Hudson's Bay Company in Scarborough? Ontario. It is now part of Toronto. At any rate, an email came back right away and said, yes, I mean, I am, but we saw the work you do with the therapeutic healing. We did not mean to cause you problems. Uh, we, we, just, we just wanted to support your work. At any rate, uh, that began a series of emails, a series of dialogues, which eventually led to me asking to meet Glenn in person. July of 2000, July 14, 2007, we did meet each other. I live in Alberta, Canada at this time, and Glenn lives in British Columbia, Canada. There are provinces beside each other. We met each other, and it was very, very profound and powerful and beautiful. Um, and even before I met Glenn, I had a sense that I that it was going to be okay. I mean, it was 30 years, 30 years after killing Theodore, Glenn. It was a robbery. 
and quite frankly, it was really crazy because my dad was in at work on his day off Easter Monday. He just went in for a couple of hours to get ready for a sale, and I was supposed to go with him. And he said, oh, you little pest, I'll be back, you know, two hours, come on. At any rate, he never came back in the door, and he, he was in that store when that robbery happened. Glenn and another fellow ran through my dad's department. People were shouting for them to stop you know, to stop these guys, and my dad ran out, and he grabbed Glenn, and there were two of them, and the guy that ran in front of Glenn shot my father from behind, so he was shot in the back, and then Glenn shot my father in his shoulder, well, probably in his heart, and my dad died, but the, there's something really beautiful um, that I found out from Glenn on that first meeting, because it was a very intense first meeting, and beautiful, very, very emotional, very powerful, but I said to him, what I want to know from you is what were my dad's last words. Mm. Mm. And <laughs> they are very beautiful last words, and knowing them, will, I will take them to my grave. <laughs> but Glenn said, Margo, your dad reached out. He grabbed me. He didn't beat me, didn't hit me, anything like that. There was no anger in him. He grabbed me by the shoulders, and he said, give it up, son. It's not worth it. And... He was shot from behind wow. and then shot from front. And yes, so that's kind of it in a nutshell. <laughs> wow. It's heavy. Those are profound last words. I, I, it makes me think of, of what, I mean, in essence, what Gandhi said to, uh, as he was dying, um, that blessing and that, um, that, for, that instant forgiveness. It's powerful. I will tell you, I, I, I need to say something else to everyone present. I do not see my father as a saint or as a good Samaritan or anything. It's not like that. I see a depth of beauty from a really, really tragic, dreadful, savage, dark day. And there is something poetic and beautiful, and I, I understand what you are saying. There's, Yeah, there's a moment of like, Wow, really? I mean, my dad was only forty, so he. I am like I'm. As I said, I am almost fifty-one, and I. I still feel like a kid. I'm learning a million things, you know. I'm a kid, and I'm like, wow, that was prophetic and very powerful and beautiful. And you know, three days after, it was a very big, big crime, and so there was a lot of press. Mm-hmm. And about three days, I mean, the press were camped out of our house, you know. And about probably two or three days after. I mean, the journalists all wanted to speak with family, and, you know, my mom My mom was only 36. She was very young. At any rate, um, I, one day a, journal, a female journalist came to the door, and I said to my mom, well, mom, let her in. You know, I mean, I want to be a writer. Maybe I will be a journalist. Just speak with her. And I remember, and Glenn remembers this, and the first time we spoke, he told me this. He said, Margot, I remember exactly what your mom said, and I, it made me cry, and I... I I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. The journalist said, will you ever be able to forgive these men? Now, my mom is 36, brand new country, you know. She said to the journalist, well, I forgive them so that I can live. There is a greater power that will take care of the rest. That is not in my hands. And I must tell you, I'm not like, um, I'm a deeply, deeply spiritual person, but I, all that I will say that there was a beauty of understanding about something that is profoundly deep that we don't need to 
it doesn't matter what we believe, if we believe, how we believe, but I think that there is something powerfully beautiful that is connected with us, that we're connected to. And my mom's words, I think, stay with me. And what you just said, in, in essence, I, I think that it's a powerful reflection of hope, hope that was sprouting even in those savage days. And they were hard. They were hard days, hard days, hard days. Mm. Well, it's, it, 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 last week we had Lynette Parker from... Um, yes you know, from Prison Fellowship International and the Center for Justice and Reconciliation with us. And one of the programs that she oversees internationally reminds me a bit of the experience, uh, I I think, of you you sitting with Glenn for the first time and the, the very simple, seemingly simple need that you had to hear uh, what what those last words were from your father, and um, that th- that seemed last week, and and in you know in general, the the these things are are our needs to to connect. Um, you know, even after something so devastating has has occurred, that you know something so simple as what was what were his last words? What what was happening at that moment? Um, what what that provided for you? Can you describe what that might have provided for you? And did that help you to, um, because of Glenn's ability to share and and be somewhat, you know, sounds like very receptive and supportive. Do, do you feel that that augmented um, the the then beginning of of the the work that you do together now? Yes, yes. I, there was something else I wanted to know very uh, deeply. I, I really wanted to know what I wanted to know what my dad said. I wanted to know if anybody caught him. <laughs> it still hurts when I think of these things, but you know, yes, it made a difference. It made it made a difference, and it's still deeply sad. And you know, Glenn knows that, and I know that, and. You know, I mean, we we share that. But yes, it made a huge difference. And the other reason it made a difference is because, firstly, I will tell you something. Glenn and I did not go through any formal channels of restorative justice. They were never offered to us. It was not part of of our thing. I mean, to me, this is a, this is a powerful miracle. This is something that happened out of the blue. And I have always loved words and poetry, and trust me, I love them a million times more because I will say that they gave me my life back, a portion of my life that was missing. But to be able to stand up with him and hear, yes, what Theodore said, to have a sense that, I don't know, it was like, okay, I'm going to say this, but it was like a positive ending in a certain way. It was... He wasn't fighting and beating and all of this, you know what I'm saying? There was just like, wow, I mean, the guy that put the bullet in your heart, basically, you gave something to him. And you're not a saint, you're just like a regular dude. You you loved your children, you were you loved nature. My dad and mom loved to camp and fish. My mom is still, she loves that stuff, She, you know. But it's like, you're just a regular guy, 
and, and he had a temper too, like he would get angry like anybody else and be happy, like everything. He was just a regular man. He was very loving, I will tell you, and he had a kooky sense mm-hmm. of humor. And he was slim and he loved to eat, so do I. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but it was beautiful. It was beautiful to recognize that Glenn had the capacity to meet me. I'm going to tell you. I mean, restorative justice is not essentially about uh, face-to-face. You know, a lot of times it cannot happen. So, mm-hmm. And that, I use the word sabona, which we'll talk about a bit later. I use it for a different reason. But, but I think it was highly courageous of Glenn to want to meet me. And courageous and honorable, honorable because it wasn't like he was crawling on his knees. It wasn't like he was... He knew. He just understood the humanity of what it meant to take the life of a love, like of a loved one. He knew it. Mm-hmm. Marco, I, do you think? I, do you feel? Um, could you share with us your thoughts on on the current, I guess, for lack of better words, Western model, especially here in the United States, where it, it seems very apparent that victims, even though um, the system may seem like they are putting victim uh, rights and, and victim um, healing up front. Uh, I think what we've just covered, in essence, perhaps uh, shows something about where we are, however we are transforming, certainly. But wh- where are we at right now in, what, in how we provide f- um, for victims after, after something like what happened to you happens. I'm going to tell you, I believe that we are at the 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 very very genesis of what is what what else can be offered. Because at this point, I mean, as you know Molly, I, I just finished a masters, which is a miracle for me. It was I never thought I would do grad work and in about shortly I'll be doing a PhD. I'm a poet first, so yes, I'm a, an award-winning academic, and that's all groovy, but I mean, I'm a poet first, and I will, what I wrote in this paper, and it's called Sabona, Justice as Lived Experience, what I say is that we are drawing still from a very adversarial, in quotation marks, justice system that still has this sense of um, the bad guy and the good guy. We know bad things. Glenn murdered my dad. There's no kidding about it. We know. I know that. I know You know, people do very violent and bad things. But as far as victims are concerned, it's kind of like, we will talk for you. We don't really need to hear what you need. We're going to tell you what you need, and then you're going to do what we say. And, of course, you've got to keep on being angry, you know, mm. and that's just the way it's going to be. Well, anger is healthy and normal, and it may last a lifetime. That's okay in a certain way, but there should be supports that say, but, you know, we can sit with you, we can accompany you with your anger, and, you know, trust that anger, and we can listen to you and tell us what you need. I mean, what, what do you want? And mm-hmm. if somebody says, well, I want to kill that creep or something like that, then, you, you know, you listen, but you offer something else, maybe a pamphlet or something like that, because I think it's, I, I think it's up to the, the government, the the. When, when people are suffering, your kid has been raped and murdered, your dad's been murdered, I mean, you, you cannot sit down and say, well, you know, I'll forgive Bob because that's just the way I am. We feel anger and pain. Mm-hmm. But I think it's up to the, the, the government, for example, justice, to, to, to offer something else and to say, okay, okay, we can go in this route. This is, this is what we can offer, respect, responsibility, 
you know, relationship. We need to have a different dialogue, and media is also part of this. Media needs to inject stories of healing after violent crime. They need to say, you know, well, they need to question a government that says, well, we're going to, we're, what we're doing for victim services is we're going to put them creeps away, and uh, we're taking care of you now. You just be quiet. We, we got this under control. We'll put them all away, and we'll treat them like animals in there, and then they're going to come out, and of course you'll be happy because, of course, now they're doubly um, damaged. Mm. So that's a bit of my rant. I think that there is, we really need to do something else um, mm-hmm. and listen, listen, listen to victims and also inject a different dialogue rather than them versus us. Mm. Mm-hmm. That is the job of justice, and that is the job of, of government. I mean, telling, you know, my, my, my view is if we, if we use the same sort of paradigm of revenge and punishment, you know, it's just there's something dangerous about that. Accountability is important, but, you know, there's something very adversarial that's still going on, and it is not healthy. But we are moving, like even having this dialogue right now, it says, all right, we're talking about it. Good. People hear good stories. This is good. Not because the chick is a saint. I am not a saint. I am not Mother Teresa. I'm none of that. Like, it's not like that. It's just, I met him. Sabona. We did the human thing. Mm. Anyway, that, yeah, my, my view is that we're, we're, we're beginning to move in the right direction, but there is mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, we know what the victims need. You know, we're going to tell them, like even Helen's story with um, mm-hmm. Patrick Sonnye and, you know, I mean, both of those families were not in the same headspace. You know, one family mm-hmm. wanted to have capital punishment, the other did not. But their their community castigated them and treated them very badly because they did not want it, because they assumed that they should want that revenge. It's a dangerous um, it's a dangerous energy to diffuse. I mean, to, to not diffuse. It's a dangerous energy to walk with. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, the, this is all so rich, and the it, what comes to mind too is to ask you um, uh, before I know that, that in a moment we're going to go into much more detail about Sobona, but I'd like to know what you, what what do you feel about this idea that seems to be underpinning what you've just described as well? One of the underpinnings, at least, um, regarding safety. And also, um, do you think that communities can also be victims? And, and how do we address that aspect of, of uh, conflict and, and harm and how to repair? Well, it's interesting because I have been connecting a lot with the Native community in, in Alberta. And yes, communities can be victims. In a nutshell, I have two responses. One is that we have to address the them versus us. Mm-hmm. So the white people against the native people, the white people against the black people, the white people against la la la, the, you know, the blacks against, like I'm from Guyana, so it was the blacks against the Indians. I mean, it was just, so we need to address that. We also, the reason I use the word Sabona as an I see you is because each of us has a degree of, let's say, victimization, something has happened to us by degrees, and we are part of, so let's say, for example, you know, um, 
African American or black people. I don't know what the, what the politically correct word is to say. Um, I say black people. I've always said that. But but I I can. It's not to be dishonorable. I I don't know what the correct one is to say. But like Aboriginal or Native people here in this in this country. I think what is key is to we can acknowledge what has happened. So in our country here, and I think in the states. Well, I don't know if the states they had residential schools, but in Canada we you know we had residential schools. And the you know the intergenerational sa- trauma exists. Okay, my father being murdered. I mean the trauma is profound. We are st- we reel from it, but it's that sense of wait a second. I have this. I'm a white person, and I have this trauma and this pain. I have had friends that have been abused and harmed by you know um, I'll, I'll say it priests and nuns. You know, and I have. I I am very concerned, not concerned, I guess I, I, I think what we need to do is to go, wait a second, I have savagery and pain, I have also caused pain, degrees of savagery, how do we recognize that we are human? You had something today on Facebook about the race, like, am I this, am I this, am I this? No, I'm from the human race, that's what I'm mm. from. So there's something about seeing the fact that we don't understand why all the bad things happen. We don't mm-hmm. understand it. Mm-hmm. But to sort of separate each other and say, well, you know what? You've done that to me. I'm going to do it back to you. Or, you know what? Now you are mad at me because I did that to you. Well, I'll be doubly mad at you. It's like, <laughs> stop. <laughs> stop and see each other. We have kids. Mm. We have family. We, yes, we have community. How do we just stop and say, look, I don't even have to like you. I don't have to like you. I don't like everybody I meet, and I'm, tr- I'm telling you, not everybody likes me. That's not the point. The point is, but, but are you not permitted as well to have a safe life and a good life? Can we not work together and just, you know, say, okay, okay, we don't have to hang, but I can still see you as a human being? But you, you know, you're entitled to a safe life, to a good life. Why not? Mm. So there's something about seeing our humanity that is mm-hmm. part of addressing this, you know. And I know people get afraid of this because they think, oh, my God, that means I have to hold hands and be happy. And now I've got to, you know, oh, my God, I've got to love everybody. And God is infused. And, oh, my God, and yay. And I, I must forgive the man who murdered my dad. And I've got to, and it's like, no, 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 it's not like that. It's mm-hmm. a process. Mm-hmm each other we go through our process we create the places we create the spaces we become the places and the spaces where we can accompany a victim in their angst and fear and their process where we can accompany an offender in his or her angst or process you know but there's something about seeing mm-hmm. them it's not like we're the chosen ones we each have stuff mm-hmm. it's a paradox it's so we don't know why you're, what you're hitting on here, Margot, is so beautiful and seemingly so simple about the universality of the human yes. experience. And our, uh, when, when we can open and feel safe enough to be in that space together of, yes. of sharing our stories, and you so beautifully do through all of your creativity. I mean, you are a prolific uh, writer and poet, and, and I mean, we haven't even yet tonight gotten into the specifics of the beauty of the work that you are sharing. But I just so appreciate you really pinpointing that through these stories, we then recognize that we share such common 
needs and common feelings and uh, really it's that simple in some ways it's that simple and i think i will tell you last week i was at a circle myself and i kind of got into it with a young woman i was not there i was not uh, the we'll say the the elder the healer or anything like that i i simply went I, an invitation sent out and i went but i i sort of i lost it i lost it with this woman because she did something, I mean, trust me, I, I honor her journey, so I'm not saying this like, oh, she's this bad person, but she did something that, that hurt me, that she said something that hurt me very deeply, very deeply, you know? And mm-hmm. I responded from a place of anger, and I did, and I know that. And then <laughs> the elder, this astounding woman, Dakota, she understood what was going on, what the dynamic was. And I must tell you, in my heart and soul, like what, what she she thanked Creator for what was going on, the dynamic that was going on between us. And it was absolutely, for me, it was moving and beautiful. Now, again, mind you, I'm an older woman, and I've been doing this work for a long time. The young lady, she was much, much, much younger than me, so she didn't get it. So she got up and left and was all, you know. But I thought it was powerfully beautiful, and and the elder did as well, and we spoke about it afterwards. I mean, trust me, I cried, and I explained what my stuff was, and I wanted us to share. But that young lady, because part of her response, part of what she did was from a place of perception or assuming things, you know. Mine came out of sheer, like, you, uh, how? You, You don't even know me, you know. At any rate, I loved that encounter because I thought, this is living justice. We are not putting on this happy face all the time mm-hmm. because sometimes, you know, I mean, you know, we cannot always be this whole notion of whitewashing everything and being all civilized and groovy. It's like we scream, we dance, we do our stuff. We're allowed to be angry. That right. anger is part of a joy that's going to come up, you know, and I, I, mm. I just think it's powerfully beautiful to be able to remind people Sabona, restorative justice. This is not about um, the word. I'm working on a paper, a short paper right now, and it's like Sabona is not about sanitizing. Mm -hmm. Justice is not about sanitizing. It's about creating space where we see each other and honor each other's chaos and confusion and humanity, you know, I mean, part of the reason, I must tell you that that Glenn is an important person in my life because he understands that as well. Like, he doesn't Mm. speak from a place of like, oh my God, Margo, I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's not like that. Mm -hmm. uh, We we really see each other. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for that. Like, so, 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 so grateful. This person, Mm. this man who killed, you know, I'm looking at a picture of my dad right here, right now. The last picture taken, I'm thinking, Glenn knows what he did. But I know as well that Glenn has a family, and he, you know, we are humans. We're walking in this really sort of chaotic, crazy place where we have emotion, and we don't have to, as I said, sanitize, right? Mm, But we can uh create a space, and we can create a different dialectic, and we could stop saying, you are the bad people, and we are the good people, and that's the way it's going to be. Simple. In in that note, I just want to I just want to say on behalf of the Peace Alliance, 
Um, we are speaking with Margot von Sleitman tonight, and I just I'd like to say a few words about some of the things she is currently offering. Just to pause for a moment here, and we'll go back into this powerful dialogue in just one moment. And again, reminding everyone, please, by all means, if you'd like to chime into the conversation tonight, all you have to do is press one on your telephone keypad, and you are welcome to do that at any time with the remainder of our council time tonight, okay? And I will get to those who are raising their hands right now in just a moment, but I would like to share something very special with you right now. Margot not only is a poet and an author and uh, does work with Glenn, which I hope we'll talk about a little bit, Margot, in a moment, within pr the prison system, but she also offers telecourses and trainings. And she has one that is called Sabona and restorative justice, and it's for practitioners and students of restorative justice, mediation, and conflict resolution. And it helps you in understanding how to engage in what and how justness means by expanding the restorative justice dialectic. You will be taught how to navigate with your own beliefs, prejudices, and wisdom in order to mentor and facilitate those with whom and for whom you work. It's a six-week course all materials are provided, and if you'd like to know more, certainly I am happy to help coordinate connection through, um, through the Peace Alliance email that I have, which is molly at thepeacealliance.org. And, of course, Margot, if you'd like to chime in and share anything further um, about how you'd like to, to stay in touch with people, we'll do that at the end of the call tonight, okay? And sure. so um, I'd also like to add, if you haven't already checked out uh, the website that, that Margot actually has a couple websites. One of them is sobona.com, and that's S-A-W-B-O-N-N-A.com. And you can also go to Margot Van Sleitman, that's S-L-Y, excuse me, S-L-U-Y-T-M-A-N, that's MargotVanSleitman.com. She's got a, a, an incredible library of offerings um, along the lines of therapeutic writing and, and some, some incredible handbooks that you can, can use, um, as well as the story that we mentioned earlier as we were opening tonight. So just wanted to make sure everyone knows of those important resources at hand and that wonderful training. And at this time, I, I would like to open up to the council um, and take a few uh, live questions or comments. And I just want to welcome you, Elizabeth. You're live. Hi. I've got two questions that I emailed to you, Margo, one about restitution and the other about entering the mind of the monster. And before I ask them, I wanted to make sure everybody knows today is a historic day where the Senate decides whether to allow the restorative justice process to go forward. That is, the Guantanamo Bay prisoners have told their stories through their attorneys, and now it's time for the Guantanamo Bay torturers to tell their story. There's a 6,000-page report, um, the Senate Intelligence Committee investigation into the torture at Guantanamo Bay. Wow. And uh, they're, they're uh, being asked to release the, the 6,000 pages without any redactions whatsoever. And the Senate has to make a decision on that. I think they've done that already today. I'm not following it, but you know, I was asked to um, encourage the President to support the, uh, the 
the, the telling of the story, the first step in the restorative justice process, so that the l- perpetrators, so that the authors of the torture at Guantanamo Bay would have a chance to air their side. But my two questions are, one, do you feel like you've gotten any, or you are getting any restitution? In other words, is I understand that the author is in prison and is working hard, but is he working for you or for the stockholders of the prison industrial complex? And number two, the question, did you get a chance to read the book uh, um, about the entering the mind of the monster where uh, ex-CIA person uh, Robert Ruffer owned in and spoke with murderers and tried to understand their minds? Because I know that not every man can even be driven to murder, and it would take somebody told me only ten percent of men are capable of committing a violent offense given the opportunity i will Elizabeth, thank you for your questions. I am Margot Elizabeth by the way um, I will tell you to, to answer your second question first, I have not read uh, that book, and your first question, would you repeat it for me, please? I am Without not sure. Restitution. Um, is is he literally working and his wife funneling to you the money that he's making, or uh, is, is there some kind of restitution taking place so that you are um, are able to have hot and cold running water? Are the things that make your make a person's life um, tolerable? You know what? Glenn is out of jail. He has been out of jail for a number of years now. There has never been any financial restitution. I have never, um, it's never been something that I've thought about or that I've needed or that I've wanted. I'm going to tell you what I value a lot with the questions that you are asking. It is this, every single case involves human beings. So it's it's all really, really different situations. And when I tell my story about Glenn, or when Glenn and I go and do a talk together, we are talking about this particular story, and it's a, it's kind of a metaphor for possibility for how humans could relate to each other. Again, not every story is the same, and in terms of some crimes that happen, I do not doubt that restitution is a must, and it must happen. I don't have that experience. I mean, I am... I don't, I'm, I will phrase it in this manner. I live a very simple life, you know, very, very, very simple life. I, I don't, uh, I'm not a corporate girl or anything like that, nor is Glenn, nor are Glenn and Sherry. So, no, I do not get restitution of a financial sort. And even when I do my work, when we do talks, we do not get, you know, honorari- big honorariums. Sometimes we get nothing at all. But part of the reason why I choose to share this and I'm, when people invite me, I go. If we happen to go together, the reason I go, Elizabeth, is because it's, a me- again, a metaphor for a possibility, but it's not, it's not set in stone that this is the one story, this is the way all murderers are, and this is the way that it should be. I mean, going into the mind of the murderer, I mean, in this case, you know, this guy shot my dad. He wasn't even thinking, but the fact that he could have a... I, I, I mean, I, I am curious about the fact that it's it felt all right to have a loaded gun, you know. But I don't go into all of that detail because for me it is not it is not required for me. But somebody else might want that. Thank Have I answered you. your question? 
Elizabeth? Yes, yes. I, you've answered the question. I, of mm -hmm. course, I was hoping, because one of the steps of the restorative justice process is restitution, I was hoping for a direct restitution from him to you and that he would be living somewhere in, in a tent so that every penny he made would be given to you. And I was hoping for some kind of story like that. But I guess it's you've, you've got a more realistic point of view. A lot of people cannot. Like, I know that... Um Again, the, the reason I stress about it being individual is because my experience, you know, in the jails and with a lot of the crimes that happen, a lot of these folks don't, they don't have the cash to even do it. They, they don't have the money to do it. Um, in terms of the whole process, perhaps if it was done differently, if it was, you know, if restorative justice was more across the board, and there was a particular system and a way it could be done, maybe that would have been part of it. But that was never something that, basically for us, all that we knew was that Theodore was dead. Our lives were destroyed in that way because of not having that man. But mommy, my mom went on, we all went on, we all did our stuff. So we're not from that, it wasn't required, and it's not about us being wealthy people, it's just like middle class people doing their stuff, you know. And the other the other thing that I'm I mean restorative justice I think it's a brilliant idea but one of my fears with it and I've written about this as well um and I will I want to go further on the writing with this is that we have to be careful not to turn it as well into a system because it's still about people so it's kind of okay in one in one situation Specific restitution, expected restitution, and this is what I want, could be very well valid. In another situation, it may not be. So we have to deal with individual with individuals. That's what Sabona is about, seeing what is required in that situation, what is that situation. I know in the native communities, you know, there's a, there's a circle process and there's something that happens there. In you know certain other communities, the Mennonites, there's something that happens there. So it, it's very, you can't just do it across the board. You know, and I, I am satisfied simply because, I, I am, I'm satisfied with, what it, what it is. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for that, and and also for pointing out the importance of. of uh, and significance of today in, in in the news. And I just had a quick question for you, Elizabeth. Do you have a link or any kind of information further that you'd like to share with the council tonight about um, the Guantanamo situation? So link, like a web link, anything that we that people might go to to refer to updates about the about the decision. I believe I got this information from either Center for Constitutional Rights, or there was because of the there there's a, a Guantanamo Bay prisoner who was um, either murdered or suicided or something like that, and a military uh, coroner declared it to be a suicide that cannot come up with any evidence, and so I was reading about that, and okay. Well, I'm, I'm guessing that people probably can Google, and I will try and do some Googling as well, and so appreciate you bringing that up tonight because that's, a, uh, that's something I'm sure many people would be interested in following. So thank you so much. 
Um, and Margot, I know that we, um, all of us, uh, we have gone into such a, a space of richness together tonight, and we do have quite a few more hands up. And I'd also like to hear more, I think we're already doing that, about Sobona. So um, it's, if it's okay with you, I'd love to, though, call on our council again. Yes. Oh, yes. Questions are really important. They can f email me to find out details about Sabona. I really want. I want to know what people want Great. to know. Well, wonderful. Thank you. And I just want to welcome you, Lynn. You're live. Welcome. Hi, um, Margot. It's such an honor to talk to you. Thank you so much. I read your entire thesis um, almost twice, and you did? I was, Thank you. yes, and. Um, it resonated so deeply with me because of, for so many reasons, and I think the main one is the perspective that I myself have um, regarding so many reactions to violent crime and what we're facing in society and um, looking at this from a restorative justice um, standpoint. And, um, wow, there's so much I'd like to ask you. I guess the first thing I'd ask you is, and I want to tell you before I preface the question, is that um, I was the victim of a very, very violent sexual assault. I was tied up and gagged and attacked with an ice pick. And what I experienced during that attack was what I believe um, is the basis of what you are speaking is I see you. And I looked in the eyes of the rapist and who I saw was somebody that's lost. And it was always my worst fear in life was to have something like that happen to me. And that was the beginning of me um, going so deeply into my own humanity and my own family my, the own range of all my impulses in life, um, the dark and light of myself, and continuing today to try to reconcile that. And um, so two questions come to mind is, um, I, one, am interested to hear about um, any of your experiences regarding dealing with very, very strong opinions around, um, in the negative sense, around you can't forgive a murderer, um, you know, these are people with demented minds, etc. And the reason I'm asking this question in particular is because I'm trying to begin to approach the field of restorative justice in this work, and particularly because sexual assault um, it comes from a very um, feminist perspective in the negative, so to speak. And um, so I find organizations um, and all, you know, just the entire field um, not able to even approach a field or, or a topic like that, um, you know, with any kind of, and I'm just going to use a broad word for forgiveness because I understand that there's so many levels of that and I'm still coping with my own forgiveness. Um, so I know that's a long-winded question. And the second aspect of it is, um, you know, that my attacker was very, very, uh, what I'm going to call uh, authentically remorseful. 
and um, I'm interested to hear about any of your experiences. And I know Molly um, was also interested with um, your attacker, um, Glenn, and, and what you are doing out in the world, um, you know, with him and, and speaking to people and their reactions, um, et cetera. So much, Lynn. I'm really, I'm very, very sorry about what happened, and I, well, I will say this. I think, I think it's really courageous, and there's a determined energy, obviously, that you have to say, you know what, man, I am not dead, and I have a voice, and I admire that. So thank you very much for that. Thank you very much. Um, in terms of strong reactions, you know, my response if people you know, say, well, you know, what do you think, I mean, la, 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 who do you think you are, Mother Teresa or whatever. When I, I was really nervous when I first started, when I recognized, when I knew what I knew, because the man who murdered my father knows what he did. He is remorseful for that, and I like that. I am grateful for that. Um, then it made me recognize that... <laughs> I mean, I've always sort of, I've always been like a social justice person kind of thing, you know. Um, so at the end of the day, what continues to happen for me is that my own voice, my own sense of self and self-worth, uh, as a woman, as a mother, as a grandmother, my sense of self-worth continues to grow, and it says, Margot, have never done what you do not believe. In the moment, you know, you, you have done what you believe is correct. If somebody says, no, this is ridiculous, you are nuts, uh, um, you are betraying us, or you are betraying your father, they're entitled to their opinion. And it does not, it, depending on the situation, how it's said, when it's said in this kind of stuff, because, um, you know, in one moment I could lose my mind, it hasn't happened yet, but I could, I've got a bit of an edge to me, you know, we need a little bit of edge, we need a little bit of fire, I'm feisty, I'm fiery. It hasn't happened simply because I know that this is right. I know that I know I'm not making Glenn up. I'm not making me up. I didn't make this story up. Therefore, I I'm not worried about that. But I will tell you something that I find profoundly. Two times I have lost my temper when I've been doing my work, when I have been doing my work, and once actually I wasn't actually doing my work. I was invited to a victims conference victim of crime awareness week and i asked a particular question and i was told the question is this and it was from a religious point of view but it was um they were giving thanks for you know a great year that they've had and la 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 and i said well and they're saying well we thank him and thank him and thank him and i said i was curious i'm like why do you say god or creator or universe is a him well the person at the table said to me you know what it isn't time for that like that's not what we're talking about here and that, 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 that is part of what we are talking about. And the reason I say that is because quite often victims here forgive the guy who raped you, forgive the guy who murdered your dad, forgive, you know, just straight out. They hear, do that and you'll be fine. I think maybe people don't mean that, but they don't know what they are saying. And they often tie it up into a god, a man-god, and a particular paradigm and a dialectic that is, this is what, this is what we're telling you you need to do so that you're going to feel better. You know, and you need to believe this, and you need to believe this thing. At any rate, I just said, 
You invited me to this table. I am here. I ask you one question. You talk about victim voice. This victim is asking you that question. All you need to do, I mean, I had some people that were very, most of the people there were great, and even the lady that kind of lost it. Of course, at that that time, I, my soul knew that she had stuff going on inside of her. That's why she responded to me in that way. My point is, it's the whole notion. I have The other time that I got angry, it was another forgiveness thing because I did a talk, and I it was a very well-attended talk, but I had two people in my talk, very religious people. I'm a deeply spiritual person, but I do not believe that you must forgive the person to be able to live. I believe forgiveness is a gift. I believe it is a process. I believe it is something that is, it, it, it's not, some people can do it. I've had people speak to me and say, well, you know, this happened to me. I, a, a person that had a similar story to yours, Lynn, and she said, I have to tell you, I did it right. Like, it just made sense to me. That's her journey. But in this particular talk that I did, these two people came up and they said, oh, my God, no, 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 without forgiveness, you simply cannot move on. And I'm saying, no, I I don't believe that. I don't believe that. And I believe you re-victimize people. And you are not doing the offender any favor because a lot of offenders also have their own stuff, you know? A lot of them are are victims. Anyway, so those are the two times that I I I have been very angry because I just felt, you don't understand. Words are important in this, in this um, dialectic we are having. You know? And again, I go back to restorative justice. Howard Zier, who is considered, um, you see, I don't like the phrase grandfather of restorative justice, because to me that's patriarchal. I don't like it, Molly. No, 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 not to be insulting, but I say he's a pioneer, mm, and he's an mm-hmm. astounding man. But mm-hmm. Howard, Howard and I speak all the time, not all the time, but often, because I often have a question, and we had a dialogue on this. Howard, is a victim not included in the restorative justice dialectic if he or she does not forgive the offender? He said, well, restorative justice is not about forgiveness. Howard, mm. is restored, if I don't sit with the guy that has killed my dad or harmed me or harmed my child, does that mean I cannot be involved in the restorative justice dialectic? Howard, Restorative justice is not about face-to-face. Restorative justice is not about mediation. Restorative justice can be about those things, but it's not about that. Like, that's not, you know, that's a part of it, and that's fine, and those are beautiful things, don't get me wrong, but that's not what they're specifically about. Restorative justice is about restoring both parties and the community, like Molly, you asked earlier. Mm. So... At any rate, I'm not, I hope I have answered at least in part some of your questions, Lynn. At the end of the day, I have my voice, and I know what my voice is. You know, my my, yes. my mom and and my sisters and my brother and I, we do not sit and talk about this stuff. They they don't want to meet Glenn. That's not part of what they need. They don't talk about forget. Well, mommy, ha- my mom has. My siblings do not. They don't need that. It's not because these are bad people and Margot is some great friggin' saint. It's not like that. My journey has asked this from me, and I have wanted it. Mm-hmm. So my voice is my voice. My, my sense of my selfhood is my sense of, of selfhood. And if people think that I'm an idiot or that I, you know, I'm just a born-again something, they can think whatever they want, but they're welcome to ask me any question because mm-hmm. I can answer. I can answer. Thank I'm happy you. to answer all the questions. Thank you, Margot. And I think um, one of the things that you just said at the end um, 
regarding restorative justice in both parties, and, and that moves into um, something I'm very interested in, which is actually the transformative justice. And yes, I, yes. Yes, because yes. I believe yes. we have the capacity to uh, 